Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Movie watchers, movie lovers here might be able to identify with uh, an experience that I'm about to share. I wonder if you know what it's like where you uh, watch a movie and there's all these dramatic portions of the movie, these cliffhanger situations. It's very tense. It's very dramatic. You're wondering, is the, is the bad guy going to get caught? And is the good guy going to survive and uh, be heralded as the hero at the end of the movie? And you're caught up in it, and you're very tense. You're very nervous. And finally, the movie ends, and all of your tensions and anxieties are resolved. The bad guy does get caught. The good guy gets away, he doesn't die, and you're relieved. Now, some time goes by and you have an opportunity to watch that movie again. And you get to those cliffhanger, dramatic, tense points in the movie. Have you ever been there? You're watching these tense points and you're getting nervous again. You're starting to get anxious. You're starting to worry. (laughs) Is the bad guy going to get caught? Is the good guy going to get away? And then you remind yourself, oh yeah, I've seen this movie before, I know how it ends. And you find relief from that tension. Um, You know, our lives are kind of like movies in a sense. All of our lives are stories that are unfolding, and all of our lives go through various points where we have certain kind of cliffhanger moments. (laughs) And maybe some of you this morning, are facing some cliffhanging situations right now. You don't know how things are going to turn out. You don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know what the diagnosis is going to be. You don't know how you're going to graduate in time. You don't know if you're going to be able to get that job that you've been longing for. You don't know if you're going to be able to get a job at all. You're not sure if you're going to have to spend the rest of your life single And it's a cliffhanger moment, and you're tense, and you're worried, and you're anxious. What you need to recall as a Christian is that you know how the story ends. We know how all of this is going to end, and it's described for us in Revelation chapter 21. So I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to that passage. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5 tells us how the story ends. We are uh, going through a sermon series here. We're concluding it actually today on what is Christianity. Uh, We began by looking at creation and moved the next Sunday to discuss the fall. Last Sunday we talked about redemption, what God has done to rescue us. Uh, All those three, by the way, have happened in our past. So now we get to the fourth and final installment of this series, which is future to us um, in Revelation 21. By the way, Pastor Brian will be preaching here next Sunday, uh, so you want to make sure you're here for that. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to start a new series called Life Together. We're going to spend a few Sundays looking at the Scriptures to learn how we as a community should relate to one another and function as a community, particularly since our community has changed so much here over the last month or two. Things are very different here, and so we want to consider uh, how we can grow in love for each other, service to each other in this community. So that'll start October 5th, Life Together. 
Uh, but right now I'm going to read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, I do have the passage on the screen so you can follow along there. If you'd please rise now for the reading of God's Word. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. <clears throat> it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Lord, we do look to you to be present. Guide this preacher. Protect me from error. Open hearts and minds. Change lives. Save the lost. Build up your church as your word is preached in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're considering here, what I've called it is, is glory, and by glory I just simply mean where we're headed in the future, our glorious future as Christians. And the question that I want to answer here today from this passage is what is it that's going to happen in the end? When you watch a movie, you've seen it before, you know what's going to happen. So what is this passage telling us is going to happen in the end. And I want to clarify that this passage here in Revelation 21, which is uh, written by a man named John. John was given some visions of what was going to happen in the future, and he's written these down for us. But an important clarification is that this passage is not describing uh, the place where deceased Christians are right now. Uh, of course, there are many brothers and sisters of ours who have died and their souls have gone to be with Jesus. That's where, you know, our brother Danny Addington, for instance, who passed away about a month ago. Danny's soul is with Jesus. Danny is in heaven right now. But Revelation 21 is not describing where Christians, deceased Christians, are now. This is referring to the second coming of Jesus. What's going to happen when Jesus returns to bring all of history to a close. And you'll see what it says here in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, you might recall that I've been kind of hitting on this quite a bit in this sermon series. You remember when we looked at creation, I made a big deal out of the fact that creation has been created good and God has declared it good. And then when we talked about the fall, I pointed out that the effects of the fall have infected all of the created order. And last week when we talked about redemption, I made the point that Jesus died not just to save souls, but to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth. Do you remember that? From Colossians chapter 1. And so, it shouldn't surprise us that as we get to Revelation 21, verse 1, we see that the earth, the physical creation, is in mind for our future. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
Now, this is something that if you've been here for any length of time, I, I kind of like to talk about it, I like to emphasize because I find that many Christians are confused about this. For many Christians, this is kind of a brand new thought, this idea that our final eternal state will be an earthly one. So as an example, let, let me share this with you. This is from um, Rick Warren's book. By the way, I haven't even mentioned my first point, the renewal of creation. This is the first thing that's going to happen. The first thing that I'm pointing out here in the end is that there's going to be a renewal of all creation. Now, Rick Warren is a, a very popular writer, and, and I'm not a Rick Warren critic. I, I don't have any problems with Rick Warren, so I'm not trying to pick on him, but uh, he did write this in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, which just sums up this very common attitude that many Christians have. He says there is, he says, earth is only a temporary residence. You won't be here long, so don't get too attached. This is not your permanent home or final destination. You're just passing through, just visiting earth. That's the idea. We're just here temporarily, and eventually we're going to get whisked off into the clouds, never to return again. Do you see how that's not quite what's being said here in Revelation 21? When Jesus comes again, there's this thing called a new earth. The idea here is that heaven, as our final eternal resting place, again, not the heaven where deceased Christians are right now, but heaven after Jesus returns is not a place up there, it's a place down here. What the Bible teaches is that heaven is a place on earth, that you and I were created and designed to live on the earth, and God intends his people to stay on the earth for all eternity. The earth is our home, our ultimate eternal resting place is not some place up in the clouds. So let me just give you a couple passages that seem to support this. Here's 2 Peter 3.13. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And in the book of Isaiah, which Kyle read for us just a moment ago, uh, Isaiah is given this vision. He says, quoting God, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mine. And then he says this, what a very curious thing. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. That's a description of the eternal state, a place where houses are built and food is enjoyed. Now, as we look at this verse, we do notice, don't we, in verse 1, that it says the first heaven and the first earth, it says, has passed away. So what, what does that mean? There is a, a debate among theologians. Some say that when Jesus returns again, he's going to abolish, annihilate the current earth and start over with a brand new earth. And this verse maybe suggests that. Uh, another view is that when Jesus comes again, he's going to renew, make new, transform the current earth that we live on now so that there is continuity from our earthly existence now into the new heavens and new earth. That's the view that I hold. That's what I think the Bible teaches, that God's not going to destroy everything and start over, but what God's going to do is renew this existence, this earthly existence that... Um, we enjoy now. So, 
Um, what I think is being said here is that the first earth being passed away doesn't mean that it's going to be eliminated, but that its former condition as a sin-stained, corrupted place of evil and suffering and difficulty, that that's what's going to pass away, and that all that is evil and wicked will be purged, and the new earth will come uh, with those impurities eliminated. So let me make that case by just sharing with you just, just three supporting arguments for that. Um, the first has to do with conversion, the way we're converted. But look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Look what Paul says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's that word, new earth, new creation. And what does he say? The old has passed away, behold the new has come. Now, when a person becomes a Christian, does God annihilate, abolish our physical bodies and reconstruct us as brand new people? Of course not. But the old has passed away. That means the old way of living, the old way of thinking about this world has passed away. Our, we're born again by God's Spirit. We have a new orientation, new affections, new values, new goals. That's what's new. But there's still continuity. We're still the same people, basically the same people, same physical makeup, same personality. That is retained, and yet the passage says the old has passed away. I think that's kind of a picture of the new creation, a renewal of the current creation. Um, conversion, that's one argument for a renewal of creation. The next one has to do with covenant. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, here's God. He says, I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me, look at this, and the earth. I mean, have you ever noticed that, that God one day made a covenant with the earth, a promise to the earth, that he wasn't going to destroy it ever again. It's that earth that God is committed to, and it's that earth, this earth, that God is going to renew. So, the way we're converted, the way covenant operates, and then lastly, if we just consider Christ. This is another argument for how God is going to renew this current earth, renew this current earth. Think of Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross, dies on the cross, sheds His blood, is resurrected from the dead. Who is it that came out of the tomb on that first Easter morning? Was it a brand new body of Jesus? No, it was the same Jesus who went in the tomb who came out of the tomb. And Jesus proved that by showing to Thomas the nail marks in his hands. Jesus wasn't reconstituted. The same body that went in the tomb came out, although it was a glorified, renewed body, very different than the one that went in, but still the same, the same body. So there's, there's continuity, some things that stay the same, and then there's radical discontinuity. There's some things that are very different. But the reason I'm making this point and the reason why this is important is because this provides for us as Christians incentive to do everything we can to work hard for the kingdom of God on this earth. That we should be people who are committed to making a difference here because, friends, I would say that what we do in this world, the good things that we do in the power of God's Spirit, to build his kingdom in this world will somehow pass over and into the next world. 
that we have the opportunity of influencing the way life is going to be for all eternity on the new earth based on how we live right now because there's this continuity between the two. But I want to close this point by, by just saying this, by way of application. There could be some of you who are just saying, you know, I, I, just, I don't want to be a Christian or I don't really want to give myself to serving the Lord because, quite frankly, I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out on something in this world. Because the day is going to come when I'm going to get whisked out of here and I'll be living in the clouds for all eternity, never to return. So if that's the case, I better get everything I can on this earth while I have the chance. I wonder if some of you are thinking that way. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to miss out on the joys of earthly existence. Friends, what this is telling us is that if you give yourself to Jesus, serving Him and following Him, you're not going to miss out on anything. You're never going to regret that. You're never going to have second thoughts about giving yourself to Jesus. C.S. Lewis <coughs> said it this way. He said, if you aim at heaven in your life, you get the earth thrown in. But if you aim at just earth, you get neither. Aiming at heaven, aiming at serving God through Christ, you get the earth thrown in. You're not going to miss anything. Because Jesus is coming again to renew all of creation. Second thing that's going to happen in the end, there's going to be a removal of suffering. There's going to be a removal of all suffering. Now, the problem of evil has been a difficulty for the Christian faith for centuries. This question of how a good God and an all-powerful God can allow a world to continue with so much evil and suffering. And... There are no easy, tidy, simple answers to that, but we get something here in Revelation 21, and what the Bible would say is that we're not to say that evil is an illusion, like some Eastern religions say, like it doesn't really exist, nor do we say, as the prosperity gospel people say, that if you just believe enough and have enough faith, then you won't have to suffer. You won't get sick. You'll be able to get healed from all of your ailments. If you just have enough faith, that's not what the Bible says either. The comfort that Revelation 21 gives us is that one day there is going to be a total and complete eradication of all evil and suffering. And that's what it says in verse 4. When Jesus comes again, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, that's our eyes, that's the people of God, that's not everybody, that's those who know Jesus, God's people. He's going to wipe away all of our tears. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One day, what this is promising, even as we deal with all the suffering and evil and dysfunction of this world, we have this promise that one day there's going to be no more funerals, that one day there's going to be no more sad, tearful goodbyes to loved ones, that one day there's going to be no Ebola outbreaks, that one day there's going to be no policemen shooting African-American teenagers in the streets, that one day there's going to be no bipolar disorder there's going to be no depression. There's going to be no Alzheimer's. One day there's going to be no 
unemployment. One day we're not going to have to live plagued with insecurity and fear of what other people think of us. One day there's going to be no loneliness. One day there's going to be no fear that paralyzes us from being able to step out. One day there's going to be no uh, sadness or lack of reward in the things that we do and the jobs that we perform. One day there's going to be no confusion about who God is and what He wants from us and what His will is. All of those things one day will be totally eradicated when Jesus comes again. That's how it's all going to end. The suffering, the pain, the difficulty that you're dealing with now, as real and difficult as it is, is only temporary and one day will be relieved. Now, I know you're saying how he skipped over that thing about the sea in verse 1, the end of verse 1, where it says the sea was no more. Um, Yeah, that's kind of a difficult um, phrase that is inserted here at the end of verse 1. I I think the way to explain that is consistent with this point. In the ancient mind, the sea was symbolic of rebellion and fear and chaos and disorder and evil and wickedness. That was what the sea was known to represent. And so I think what John is saying here is not that there's going to be no bodies of water in the new earth, but that everything representing chaos and evil will be no more. So once again, what's the implication uh, of that for us? You know, one is, of course, as we, we take comfort in this, um, we look forward to the glory that is to be revealed to us, that helps us to persevere through our difficulties. But I would suggest also that knowing that Jesus is going to remove these evils from this world should impel us, again, as Christians, to be people who are active in the world fighting all kinds of evil and injustice. That are to be Christians who are at the forefront of battling poverty and racism and injustice of all kinds. Not because we think that in the power of our human spirit that we are going to overcome these issues, but because we have the assurance that Jesus is coming and He's going to overcome all those injustices and victory is assured for us. That's what motivates us to do something in this world to make it a better place. As an example of this, William Wilberforce, a a perfect example, this man who lived in the late 18th, early 19th century, a British man, He was a Christian and was considering going into the ministry. He was thinking he was going to be a pastor and kind of felt like he had to be a pastor. But he also had a passion to abolish the slave trade in Britain. And he felt like maybe that wouldn't be a godly use of his gifts and was feeling like he needed to go into the pastorate. And there's a movie about him called Amazing Grace. came out a few years ago, pretty pretty good film. And there's a place in the film where... Uh, Somebody asks Wilberforce, he says, uh, William, are you going to praise the Lord or change the world? And someone else steps up and says, William, I humbly suggest that you can do both. You can do both. You can praise the Lord and work to abolish the slave trade, which is what, by God's grace, he was able to do. It took him 40 years, but was instrumental in eliminating slavery in England. Locally, a great example of that, Ray and Paula Rains, right? 
I don't think I see the Rains here uh, today, but you might know that Ray and Paula have retired from leading the Muncie Mission, um, this uh, wonderful ministry that's cared for the homeless in our community. And uh, Ray and Paula have retired, and there was a tribute for them just this last Friday night, and what a joy it was to be there, to acknowledge them, to affirm them, and thank them for all the work they have done and the power of God's Spirit to eradicate suffering for so many broken and needy people. Uh, what a wonderful couple, and it's just been such a privilege to have them worshiping here at New Life with us, and uh, I think maybe some of you know, but maybe not all of you, but uh, Ray and Paula's uh, successors are Frank and Anna Baldwin, who also go here to New Life, and they uh, have already begun their duties taking over where Ray and Paula left off. I don't think I see Frank and, and Anna here either. Oh, uh, they are. I'm, they're, they're being pointed at there. Oh, there they are. Yeah, yeah. In a bigger sanctuary, it's harder, harder to find people. So congratulations, Frank and, and Anna. Uh, you know, let's lend them all of the prayer and encouragement and support uh, that we can uh, as they work hard to remove suffering in this community. It's always going to be incomplete. They're not going to be able to take care of every person. But Jesus is coming again, and our victory is assured. All suffering, one day, removed. Last thing. What's going to happen in the end? There's going to be a residing with God. A residing with God. Uh, look at verses 2 and 3. It says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, Jerusalem, of course, that was a city in the Old Testament. That's where God resided. If you wanted to worship God, you had to go to Jerusalem. Uh, what this passage is telling us is that in the end, when Jesus comes again, it's not us going to Jerusalem, it's Jerusalem coming to us. Do you see that? The new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from God to us. The place where God dwells is coming to us. You know, sometimes I like to ask this question, what is the final goal of your salvation? And very often when we talk to people about the gospel, we say it this way. We say things like this. We say, do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? And many of us have become Christians because we want to go to heaven when we die. But that kind of begs a big question, isn't it? What is heaven? <laughs> what does it look like? If I said, hey, let's go on vacation next week, one of your first questions is going to be, where are we going? So what do we mean when we say, go to heaven when you die? I, I think, again, we've kind of misunderstood this. We have presented it as going to heaven when you die is going away into the clouds. What we have here is a description of the new Jerusalem coming to us. It's not us going to heaven, it's heaven coming to us so that God himself can dwell with his people. Do you see what it says? Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, it's repeated three times here. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with us. He will dwell with them, with us, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
the earth will be purged of all evil and made so pure that God himself is going to be able to come down and dwell with us for all eternity. God's moving in to the neighborhood one day. It's not us going to heaven. It's heaven coming to earth. That's what Emmanuel means, right? That's a reference to Jesus. It's not us with God. It's God with us. And here we see the gospel summarized in a very clear way. It's not us building a stairway to heaven, as Led Zeppelin would say. It's not us working and doing all these things to climb up so that one day, if we're good enough, we can get to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. It's a God of grace who's coming down to be with his people in his mercy and kindness. A God who comes to dwell with those who belong to him through faith. My question, friends, to you this morning is will you be there? Will you be there on the new earth? Do you know that you're going to be able to reside with God for all eternity when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to be with us? Here's how you can know that. Because here's what's important. In order to reside with God there, you have to know God here. In order to live with God on the new earth, you have to have relationship with him on this earth. And you have an opportunity to do that. And it's easily done. It's just simply by repenting from your sins, turning away from all of your confidence in yourself to save yourself. It's to stop running from God and putting him aside and ignoring him, but turning from your sin and receiving Jesus as your Savior, saying, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I need my sins forgiven. I want to be with you. I want to go to the new earth. I want to see a state of affairs when everything broken is fixed and everything wrong is made right. I want to be there and receive Jesus and believe upon his name. You know, that would be the most rewarding, encouraging, happy, and joyful conclusion to this sermon series is if that would happen to some of you today at this moment. If you want to become a Christian, please come and talk. Pastor Brian, talk to me. If you're thinking maybe you're leaning in that direction, but you're not quite sure, you've got more questions, come and talk. Let's sit down. Maybe you think you're ready to be a Christian, but it's going to take some time. That's okay. We'll walk with you through that. We'll hang with you. We'll talk with you. We'll answer your questions as best as we can. But if God is tugging on your heart now, now is the time to put faith in Jesus because the most central activity that's going to go on in the new earth, when God comes back to renew that earth and when he removes all suffering and we reside with God, here's what we're going to be doing for all eternity, worshiping the risen King of kings and Lord of lords, on and on and on. We're going to do a lot. I think we're going to do more than that, building houses, eating of vineyards, as Isaiah 65 told us. It's going to be a, a glorious, wonderful existence, but the primary thing we're going to be doing is this. From Revelation chapter 5, a picture of heaven. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you 
were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's the way the story ends for God's people. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for this wonderful, exciting promise. Bring people to faith, oh God, we pray. Help us to worship you and to wait patiently on your perfect timing. In Jesus' name, amen.